That was his way of just saying, I'm the boss, this is the rules, what I tell you to do, you do, and if you don't like it, you go and play for somebody else, and it's as simple as that. Hello, I'm Jim Salverson, and this is Football Stories, Season 2. Season 1 is all about some of the stories from off the pitch and fascinating chats with the likes of referee Mark Halsey, Manchester City coach Steve Eyre, and Gary and Colin Lewin, who were physios at Arsenal under Arsene Wenger. Season 2 is about stories from people who have actually played the game at the highest level. Today, it comes from Nottingham Forest legend Mark Crossley, who's a man who has some brilliant stories to tell, largely stemming from his time playing under one of the greatest men ever to walk the touchline in English football, Brian Clough. Today's podcast is a must-listen for any football fan or any cloffy fan, but there's a load more to get your teeth into as well. I made contact with Mark over a shared love of new and emerging bands and music, so there's a little bit of chat around new music as well, if that kind of thing floats your boat. Today's football story is from Big Norms, a.k.a. Mark Crossley. Former Nottingham Forest, Middlesbrough, Fulham goalkeeper, to name just a few. There's loads I've missed off that list. Mark Crossley, how are you doing, Mark? Afternoon, Jim. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, let's start at Nottingham Forest because it's where you made your name. 300 plus appearances and a bit of a cult hero at the club as well. I assume that's the team that you still feel the closest affinity to. Do you find it disappointing to see them where they are now, this club with this huge fan base, huge potential, but struggling to get back into the Premier League? Yeah, uh, 393 appearances in total. Uh including League Cup. And it was before the Premier League, actually. So I'm showing mm. my age there. It was, <laughs> uh, I signed in, uh, I made my debut in uh, 89. And obviously Premier League started in 92. So, but it was like the old Premier League, we call it that anyway. Mm. But it's been a long old grind. 1999 was the last time Forest were in the Premier League. So it's a long time. Uh, and each year, uh, supporters, myself included, think you know maybe this is going to be the be the year. But there's been that many managers, that much turnaround in ownership, that you just can't see where it's going to come from now. Unfortunately, I know a couple of Nottingham Forest fans, and their attitude whenever a new owner or a new manager comes in is, "This is going to be the one. This is going to yeah. be the turnaround we need." Do you share that? I do. Yeah, because. Having spent 13 years at the football club, I am still a fan. They are the team that I mainly look out for because they gave me my big break in football, Brian Clough, mm. all them years ago. So you're bound to have, you know, some kind of affinity with the club. And I certainly have, and I still get to games, I sit with the fans, I complain like the fans complain <laughs> because it's just frustration that such a big club and with such great history finds itself languishing down near the bottom of the championship mm. at the moment. So it's not very pleasing at the moment. You mentioned Brian Clough there, who is obviously one of the cult heroes of not just Forest, the game in general, absolutely legendary yeah. manager. You played under him for a few seasons. How did you find him as a man? How did you find him as a boss? He was one of the greatest fellas I've ever met in my life, entire life. He didn't just teach me or coach me how to play football, but taught me about life skills in general. You could always say, and most players say, he was like a second father to them. He knew when to give you a kick up the backside when you needed it. He knew when to put an arm around your shoulder and give you some loving, which he did very often. He didn't give that appearance, but he was a very loving man indeed. And um, I had six years working with him. And without him, I wouldn't be the human being I am today. 
because we, we all have our fathers to, to guide us along and parents as such, but to have someone like him to guide you through years from being 18 up to 24, making my name in football with him. I just, I love talking about him. That's why I'm on the after dinner circuit and I, and I, and I'm very, very busy because no one gets bored listening to what Brian Clough had to say. So <laughs> um, it is true though, is it? You know, he was that popular in interviews and there's that many stories that you can tell. I took it onto the after dinner circuit and it's just gone absolutely, well, it, we've been in COVID, haven't we? So mm. it hasn't been, but from September, October, November, I haven't got a Thursday or Friday free at the moment. So it just shows what how popular he still is. And hopefully I'd like to call myself a good good after-dinner speaker as well. So there you go. We all know about the story when he first came into Forest, how he took the keeper at the time down a peg or two, wearing his green jumper, saying, I'm the only number one at this club, <laughs> all that kind of thing. Did he ever yeah. take that kind of approach with you where he felt like he needed to bring you back down to earth? Oh, very much so. I made my debut. He gave me my debut in on October the 26th, 1988 against Liverpool. And I was only, I was only young. I was only 18. And I, I didn't know that I was going to make my debut. He'd rang my parents up and told them to get down to the game that I was going to play that night against Liverpool. But what, they said, whatever you do, don't tell him because he'll absolutely crap himself. <laughs> um, and, and he's right. And, I, and he told me at seven o'clock that I was playing 45 minutes before kickoff. So that was that was a brilliant brilliance behind his man management skills mm. for, for, for one. But I played the next two games after that as well, before it was then time to... He realised that he'd got someone that could handle the situation, a young goalkeeper. He didn't, didn't have to worry about it, uh, signing another goalkeeper, because I would be the one that would then step into Steve Sutton's shoes when he, when he was about to move on. Mm. But I played against Coventry and he obviously seen in me that I was getting a little bit too big for my boots and basically, to cut a long story short, his son, Simon, had a, had a Sunday league team in Division 5 of the Derbyshire Sunday League and they hadn't got a goalkeeper. So playing against Coventry on, in my third game on the Saturday in the FA Cup, after the game, Cluffy said to me, where do you think you're going? And I said, I'm going home. And he said, well, I'd like to see you at my house tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Bring bring your boots and it would help if you bring your gloves as well. So I thought, well, for a start off, I didn't have a clue where he lived, so I don't know how I'm going to get to his house. But I made a few inquiries. I managed to get a lift to his house on the Sunday morning. I had no idea why I was going. But when I got there, he informed me that his son, Simon, was the manager of a team called AC Hunters in the Derbyshire Sunday League and they hadn't got a goalkeeper and I was the one to fill in for the goalkeeper, having played against Liverpool, Newcastle and Coventry, FA Cup and the old first division. He made me play for his son's team. <laughs> the team got fined £50 for playing a ringer and lost the, lost the points on the day. And because they lost the, the, the points on the day for playing a ringer, he took the £50 out of my wages at Nottingham Forest <laughs> to, pay the, to pay the fine. <laughs> wow. That was my kind of introduction to say, don't get too big for your boots, young man, because this is what happens. Was there any, ever, ever any hes- hesitation in when he said, no. get, get your boots and gloves on your playing? Was it just, he's the gaffer? I thought it was a bit of a wind-up to begin with, but like when I went to his house, his wife uh, was answered the door and, and I was talking to her in the kitchen and, and Brian came down five minutes later and it was a bit surreal. Like, he didn't ask the question he told you. So, and uh, Cluffy did a lot of that. He never asked 
He never asked the question. You was told what to do, mm. and you either abided by the rules or you or you was off. You was somewhere else. But you got used to that. Mm. So I got told that I was playing in this game. So it was like at, at first I must admit I thought it was a wind up. But then when I actually got in the car with Simon, we drove to the the ground where we were going to play. It was an absolute shambles, and we were getting we were getting changed in the in the same dressing room as the opposition we were going to pay, play against. And a couple of players from the opposition recognised me. They thought it were all a wind up, and and it just went on from there really. And I hardly touched the ball in the game. They could have actually played without a goalkeeper. It was that one side of the game, but that was his way of just saying. I'm the boss. This is the rules. What I tell you to do, you do. And if you don't like it, you go and play for somebody else. And it was simple as that. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I ended up playing for the Sunday League team. And uh, I do Cluffy's voice and stuff, you see. So I take him off. He had four nicknames for me, Cluffy. He used to call, call me Barnsley, which is where I originate from. He used to call me Imbecile. <laughs> he, used to, he used to call me <laughs> House, which was his favourite one. And when I got in his team as a young lad, he, he started to call me Jigsaw. So leading up to these this game for the Sunday League team, he'd started to call me Jigsaw. So I've be, always been the type of person that, hang on a minute, why is he calling me that? I need to go and find out. And, and I'm always determined to go and find these things out. So to get to see Cluffy, you had to go through his secretary at the time, Carol. Mm. And always a good time to go and see him was on a Monday morning, early doors, before training, after he'd won on a Saturday. So that time came. I went to see Carol. She rang his office. He invited me down to his office and I walked in. And as I walked in the door, he had his rugby shirt, green sweater, you know, his normal attire. And I'm stood there. I'm a, I'm a, little, bit, I'm a little bit scared. And he looked at me and he said, what can I do for you now? <laughs> so I said to him, well, that's why I'm here, boss. Like, all these nicknames you keep calling me, I don't mind all the others. It's part and parcel of football. I understand that. Can you explain to me why you've started to call me Jigsaw? He looked at me again and he said, every time the ball comes in the box, you go to bloody pieces, son. <laughs> so that was it. End the conversation. At least now I know why he calls me Jigsaw. Uh, he probably wants me to be a bit more demanding in the box. So, And that was his way. And that stuck in my mind. What a footballing education that was. And obviously, I mean, the fact you were playing Sunday League football and a few years later you are pulling on the number one jersey for Wales, I guess, shows kind of how that education helped you through that. We've obviously got the European Championships around the corner, international break at the moment. How do you think Wales are going to do? And what would be a good result for Wales in the Euros? Would it be getting out of the groups? Would it be going out a little bit further? I mean, Italy, Switzerland, Turkey in the group. So it's not a group of death, but it's certainly a challenge. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of commentary on the games leading up to this. And it's a shame that Ryan's not there on the sideline. Obviously, there's other things going on. But mm. they're in good hands with Robert Page, who's been alongside Ryan all the way through. Now, this team is organised, fit, good mixture of the youth and experience, which you can't beat, led by Gareth Bale. Ramsey, if is available. So if Wales can get the best 11 on the pitch, they can compete with anyone. And I really mean that. And that's without mm. being biased. Uh, they can come. Take away a few of those and, and, 
and what I've noticed is it can be a little bit, little bit of a struggle. But they're a good team. They're organised. They play the same system all the time. And if they don't get past the group stage, for me, it'd be a disaster. Right. So the aim has to be, for me, minimum quarterfinals. Is there good performance in recent tournaments where they have succeeded and they have done well? Is that almost a a bit of a burden upon them? Because now you half expect them to go a little bit further. Yeah, they've become a, they've become a team and a group of players, and you can go all the way back to Gary Speed. God bless him. He took Wales to a different level. He started he started this. Chris Coleman then took over from him, carried it on, and on and on. Set get get to a sem, semi final of a major tournament. Ryan uh, came in, struggled a little bit to begin with, but the signs were there under Gary and Chris. The signs were there that. This was only a matter of time before it came back, and it has done. Mm. It's come back, and it's credit to Ryan that he stuck out. He become under. I remember him coming under pressure at one stage where he, he, he weren't winning games, but now I, I don't know the, the past what the record is, but I know it's very good. Mm. And they played against some top teams and really good side, and they now become. It's interesting because they'll be playing teams like Turkey and people like that, and they would always be underdogs going back years when I played. Yeah. yeah. Now they're well. Now, now they're favourites. They're favourites to win them type of games, uh, and it's because of the players that they've got. Simple as that, really. There's a big debate amongst England fans at the moment about who should be the number one. Jordan Pickford currently has the jersey, but he is seen by many to be prone to mistakes every now and again. Nick Pope, he's been knocking on the door for a few mm. years now. Shows great form for his club side, and then you've got yeah. Dean Henderson, who's coming from and showing this huge potential. If you were yeah. Goalkeeper coach, reviewer, England manager, who would you be picking to play in goal out of those options? Or is there someone else that maybe Southgate isn't even considering at the moment that he should be? No, I think you've I think you've kind of like named the main ones there, up and coming. Um, lack of experience behind uh, Pickford there, with an international level, certainly mm. not a Premier League level. Pickford plays better for England than he does for his club. I think we've all seen that. Yeah. For his club, is under the spotlight week in, week out. It's not gone great for him uh, over the last season or two at club level, but I've never seen him perform poorly for England. Some players are like that. For me, you stay with Pickford because he's now got international experience. He looks comfortable. I, I don't remember him too often playing poorly for England. In fact, I've always commented that he's done really, really well. The other two putting massive pressure on. But if you're going off club form, you wouldn't pick him. No. You'd probably pick Pope. Henderson's not playing enough this season. You can't pick him. Uh, although he did fantastically well for Sheffield United. And look where they are now. It just shows how big a part he was that he played in the Sheffield United team. Do you think there's different Pope's demands on a goalkeeper now compared to when you were playing? Do you think there's... Because we, we, we often hear how important it is for certain managers to have... Keepers like Pep Guardiola, he wants a keeper who can play with his feet. And Pickford, to a certain extent, that's why he remains in the England team, because he's good with his feet. Do you think, is it kind of a different set of skills that's required to be number one compared to when you were coming through? Absolutely. You know, it got changed, I think. uh, The back pass law, I think, changed in 1991, I think it was. Mm. 
uh, or 92 were first in Premier. I can't remember, right, but it was that around then and the likes of Jim Layton at Manchester United. They struggled because they weren't good with the feet. Now the game's changed and the people that are get, uh, the, the goalkeeper has to be able to play. I have to be honest, I was okay. I was comfortable. I played at centre-back till I was 15. So I was used to the ball at my feet. So it's something I never really struggled with, with the back pass. In fact, it was one of my one of my main attributes was my distribution, and I love to see it. And I, and I think Pickford's got excellent distribution. I'm not sure about Pope's distribution. I still think it's <clears throat> needs working on. Anderson, yeah, good distribution, but I think Pickford out of the three is better. Uh, and it just goes to show with Manchester City, they're a fine example that your goalkeeper has to be good with his feet. Mm. So as before, you probably. 75% of the game, you'd use your hands because you'd pick the ball up, you'd kick it long when I played. Now I would say 75% is with the ball at the feet because the ball comes through to the goalkeeper, he doesn't pick it up, he passes it out first time. Mm. So very, very important uh, these days that you have to be on the same la- wavelength as well as the defenders that you're playing with, that, you know, which foot is his best, where is he weaker, where, when the ball's played back to him, where do I need to go as a defender to support him? And all that will be worked on in training with the goalkeepers. So goalkeepers are involved in more in training sessions now rather than just put to one side, like when I was playing, do your own thing and we'll shout you over to training when we need you. Just mm. a, just a standing goal and stop the ball from going in the goal, basically. They were the rules when I played. That's your job, stop the ball from coming in the, going in the goal. Simple as that. But now there's so much more to it. But I think it's for the better. I think it's for the better that uh, goalkeepers can't pick the ball up. It, it's certainly quickened the game up anyway. Mark, absolutely pleasure to speak to you and to hear your stories about your time playing for Forest and other clubs as well. Um, thank you very much for joining us on Football Social Daily. Before you go, I know you're a massive fan on new music. Anyone that follows you on Twitter will know you're a massive fan of new yeah. music. So I'm going to ask you for one suggestion, one band that we should be keeping an eye on or an ear on at the moment. Well, I'm a massive Sheds fan, and they're, they're playing uh, they're in, in Halifax shortly. It's mm. been moved a few times, and they're getting backed up by a band called the Skylights uh, from Leeds, and yeah. I think they're fantastic. Uh, but there's loads of great young bands out there, new bands. I love them, I love them all, and I, I don't really want to say one, but at the moment, I've, I'm kind of liking them, a band called Shaded as well, and Apollo Junction, loads of them. But I think the Skylights have got some really good stuff at the moment. Picking some fine northwest-based bands there as well, which I'm yeah, like. <laughs> <A bit biased. laughs> uh, if you want more recommendations, you can follow Mark on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? It Big Norms, isn't it? At Big Norms, yeah. Okay, go and find Mark on Twitter for more goalkeeper tips and also loads of great tips on new music. Mark, pleasure to speak to you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to this episode of Football Stories from the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed Season 2 and you've listened to all the episodes in Season 2, why not go back to Season 1 and listen to some of the untold stories from off the pitch. And if you happen to be a sport content creator, if you've got your own podcast, why not come and join the Sports Social Podcast Network. Find more information or find your next favourite sport podcast by searching Sports Social Podcast Network. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.